All right, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to take it and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 11. We're going to be in verse 19. And then we're going to go over to the book of John after that. So you're welcome to keep a finger over there also. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump into what the Lord has for us today. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for being able to come together without being under the fear of persecution in this place. Father, we thank you for being able to worship with like-minded believers. And Lord, we pray that as we meet with you today, Lord, that you would uh, work in our lives and work in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would mold us into the image of your Son. Father, we love you. We pray that you would uh, be at work amongst us. And Lord, I pray most of all that you would feed your people. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're in the book of Acts, and ever since this summer... Uh, things have been pretty hectic here at the church, not out of control, but they've been a little hectic as far as our Sunday schedule. And we haven't been able to really uh, get into a good groove or get into a good series because we've had flood, we've had uh, revival, we've had just a bunch of other things go on since the summer. And so what I want to do is I want to push us uh, this week in our first Sunday in a certain direction. And uh, hopefully it'll make perfect sense when we get going in that direction. But I want to bounce off of the sermon that I preached the last night of revival. I know all of you weren't there, so I'm going to I'm going to hit the high points again for you and uh, and show you the direction that uh, we as a church uh, need to start running. And so having said that, let's jump into the scriptures and I'm going to end up tying in some things that I've said uh, months ago because I think they're all pertinent to the direction that we're going. So if you remember a couple months ago, we, we preached this uh, series of sermons called Christian. Right. And we were talking about what is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? And what was the meat and potatoes in your mind of the takeaway from the word Christian? Like, don't answer out loud. So hopefully you're thinking right now and hopefully you're remembering that through that whole series, we said that the Bible only uses the word Christian two times. Right. And it was never used of people who were followers of Christ. It was always used in a negative way towards the people who were followers of Christ. And so I want to go to the book of Acts, chapter 11, and I want to read in verse 19. Chapter 11, verse 19 of Acts says this. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them. Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 22. The news about them reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage all of them with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So you get this? The who? The disciples were first called Christians 
in Antioch. And it wasn't the disciples calling each other Christians. It was outsiders looking in. And the word Christian was used somewhat as a derogatory term towards the Christians. If you look later on in the scriptures, you'll find that Paul is standing in defense and uh, he's on trial in defense of himself. And he's giving a proclamation of the gospel to the king he's on trial with. And the king says, you better be careful, Paul. If I hang around you too much, you'll make me become a Christian. And he's not saying it in a good way. He's saying it in a, I'll become one of you if I keep listening to you. And so the reason we spend this time talking about the word Christian and the word disciple is because the word Christian isn't defined in the scriptures. Okay? Most of us here, under the banner of Christ, most people in the world who hold even loosely to this book here that we treasure, call themselves Christians. And when you call yourself a Christian, you get to pick the definition of what it means. Right? There's, there's words out there that we all know what they mean. If we said American, you know what an American is, right? If we said comedian you know what a comedian is, right? If you stumbled upon someone who said, I'm a comedian, and they weren't funny, you would go, yeah, I don't know about that, right? You with me? And so we, we associate a definition with a word. And so if someone were to walk up to you on the street and say, are you a Christian? You would say, yes. And then some of you might go, well, yes, I am, but let me qualify what I mean by I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those people who are Christians on one side, and I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those people who claim to be Christians on the other side. I'm kind of my own nuanced version of a Christian. And you would want to explain what that meant, right? You with me? Okay, give me a little head nod. You're alive, right? You're alive. So the reason we talk about the difference between being a Christian and being a disciple is that Christian can mean anything that we want it to mean by definition, but the word disciple, I think that we've steered away from it because we don't like the word disciple because Jesus clearly defines what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when someone says, I'm a Christian, you can't really look at them and go, well, no, you're not because of this, this, and this, because that might be not, that might not be in their definition of Christian. But if someone says, I'm a disciple of Jesus, well, now you can put them up against the litmus test of what Jesus said a disciple was, and you can see if that person really measures up and meets the mark or not. Following me? One more proof about the word Christian. There's a guy named Tacitus. He's a Roman historian, right? He writes about the time when this crazy guy who was the emperor of Rome burnt Rome to the ground. So there's this emperor in Rome named Nero. Uh, Christianity's taking over. Uh, Nero is, is not crazy like, wow, that guy's wild and crazy. I want to hang out with him for a weekend. This guy is slam nuts and you want to avoid this guy at all costs. It's rumored to have been said that there was this bay or this inlet that ran through where Rome is. And somebody said that you couldn't ride a horse across it. And so he got people to build a, a, a floating bridge across the canal so that he could ride his horse across the canal. That's the kind of weird guy this is. Things weren't going the way he wanted to go in Rome. And so he says, I've got a good idea. And he burns Rome to the ground. But then he blames the Christians for it. And listen to this. This is what the Roman historian Tacitus said. He said, consequently, to get rid of the report, and that's the report that Nero burned down Rome, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most inquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. And so what I continue to want you to see is that Christians never called themselves Christians. We, as Christ followers, have always been disciples or Christ followers. 
Christians is something that outsiders called us. And he says that this was a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. And so it's never been something that we've used to describe ourselves. And so now we can go back over to the book of John. And you're in John chapter 13, verse 34. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. You're welcome to just listen. John chapter 13, verse 34. And this is where we finished up that, that series of called Christian. And this was the, the verse that we wrapped the whole series around. Jesus says to his disciples in verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another, and by this all men will know that you are Christians. No, that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so when Jesus is on the scene and he gathers his, his holy huddle together, he says, listen, gang, I want you to love each other so much that that's going to be the defining characteristics that, that the outside world knows that you are my disciples. Okay? And just I want you to see how this is working itself out in real life 2,000 years from now. When you look around Windsor and you look at who's doing the, the, the bulk of the work that's going on in Windsor, it's Christ followers loving their neighbor as themselves, and they're the ones getting neck deep in mud serving each other. And so when the world looks at Windsor, I hope that they see it's not all these activist groups that are jumping in and helping out, but it's you. It's Christ followers who are working hard, serving one another, and hopefully that is showing the world that we are Christ disciples by the way that we're serving and loving one another. And so now Jesus is on the scene and he's giving this, You know the rest of the story. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies for our sins. He raises from the dead so that we can have eternal life. And then, this is the last section we're going to turn to. Turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. This is Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. While you're turning there, Jesus goes to the cross. They put him in the grave. Three days later, he rises from the dead. The women go to the tomb. You all know the Easter story. And the women see Jesus. And Jesus says to them, this is Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren and leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. So he tells the women, hey, listen, don't be afraid. Go and tell the gang, meet me in Galilee and I'll see him there. Right? And so Jesus calls a meeting after he raises from the dead. Right? Right? If you had a family business... If you had uh, a organization that you ran that you were really passionate about and you died for the cause and then you came back to life and you called a meeting of all of your people, don't you think you would tell them the most important thing for them to remember at that point, right? You're not going to waste this coming back from the dead, having this first initial meeting. And this is what Jesus says. This is in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up, and you've heard this a thousand times, and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so Jesus lets them plainly know, listen, this is not, this is not, we haven't called an audible. I've got all authority in what I'm telling you right now. Right? All authority in heaven and on earth. I have, Jesus says. Here's the plan. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so here's the plan. After Jesus has been given all authority and all power, the plan is to go 
And he doesn't say make converts, right? He doesn't say hold conferences, hold rallies, and lead as many people to Christ as you can. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say go and make Christians, right? He doesn't say take this Roman Greek world and make them all Christian. It's not on his radar screen. He says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all the nations. Why do you think he chooses to use the word disciples? It's because he defined it while he was on this earth. Jesus was constantly saying, follow me, follow me. And when we got down to the nuts and bolts of what a disciple is, a disciple was someone who followed after someone else, right? They didn't, they didn't argue with them. They didn't get into quarrels with them. They followed them. They learned from them. And essentially the person that was doing the discipling was duplicating themselves. That's what Jesus did. And so he said, guys, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. And then he says what to do with these disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then teaching them, verse 20, to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so you're supposed to go and make disciples. You're supposed to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you're supposed to teach them. And what do you teach them? You teach them whatever you want to teach them? No. You teach them to obey the things that Jesus commanded us. Right? We're not, we're not teaching them the suggestions that Jesus gave us. We're teaching them the commandments that Jesus gave us. So Jesus laid down exactly what it meant for us to be his follower. And we're to make disciples who look like us because we're disciples of Christ. And we're doing the things that Jesus has commanded us to do. Right? There are no suggestions when you come to following Christ. Right? When you get on board with following Jesus, he's commanded you to do a bunch of things. He hasn't suggested that you do anything. Right? He died for you, laid down his life freely for you, gave you his righteousness, took all of your sin, and then commanded you to do things. There's no room for negotiation with Jesus Christ. He's Lord and Savior of everything, or he's absolutely nothing. Because the God we serve is not in second place to any person, place, or thing in this universe. He's number one, or he's nothing for you. And so we're supposed to go into the world and make disciples. And so I told you that I've been wrestling. Uh, I've been wrestling with coming up for a mission statement for our church. And for some of you, I know this is, this is a little bit of a replay, but some of you weren't here for the last night of revival. And so I was wrestling through a lot of mission statements. And I've heard a lot of good mission statements from other churches that I thought, hey, maybe I'll just find a church that I really think a lot of and will nab their mission statement. Right? This is, this is, it's, Right? It's a church. Hey, if somebody else is doing... Listen, if, if you ever hear me say something that another preacher has to say, what's my job as a pastor? Think about it. Biblically speaking, is to be a shepherd, right? I'm to, to shepherd you. If there's another shepherd that's given his sheep really green grass, sometimes I might take you over to that field and let you eat a little bit of that green grass, right? Like That's the job of a shepherd. They don't have to grow grass. I just got to find green grass for you, Right? It's, it's ideal when it comes from me and I'm a good shepherd and know where to take it. But every once in a while, the shepherd gets tired. He's got to borrow a little bit of green grass, okay? Loosen up. It's okay. It's all right. Everything's not plagiarized. Don't worry. So anyways, so I've been wrestling with some of this uh, mission statement stuff. And so I, I looked back to the college that I went to. And uh, the college I went to was, a, was a Columbia International University, same college that Dr. Tarkington went to. And so their mission statement now is... Um, uh, love Christ, love others, serve the world. I may get some of these mixed up. 
And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I like that. I like that a lot. Jesus is, is uh, presented with a question by some of the uh, Pharisees, Sadducees. And they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I go, yeah. So a mission statement should say, love God. And then Jesus says, well, the, the next part is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, okay, love God, love others. I like it. And then you got to have a missions aspect in there. So serve the world. I like it. Love God, love others, serve the world. Right? They're college. They're not a church. Right? Love God, love others, serve the world doesn't have anything to do with the Great Commission. And we as Christ followers have been called to something very specific. I told you that there's all sorts of organizations out there that, uh, that come up with a good mission statement. And whatever they do or don't do is geared around that mission statement. So if you're interested, uh, many of you do a lot of online shopping. Uh, I've told you that most of the, uh, that I try to shop in town as much as possible. The other stuff that I have to buy, I don't like driving to Greenville for it. So I just get it on Amazon. Amazon ships it to me in two days. We have a great working relationship, right? Usually they offer a better price than the folks in Greenville and other places anyway. Anyways, Amazon's mission statement says this. It's our goal to be Earth's most customer-centric company where customers can find and discover anything at Amazon.com. You sit down with your checklist of things that you have to do tomorrow. Maybe you have to fix your car. Maybe you have to fix something for your uh, house. Maybe you need a gift for your wife. Maybe your dog needs something, and maybe you're planning a fishing trip next weekend. You've just burnt a whole weekend in Greenville, right? You sit down at your computer, and you can knock all five of those things out in about two minutes on Amazon.com. That's their mission, to be customer-driven, to help you in one place find anything that you want. And so when you work for Amazon, and you come up with this great idea to manufacture something... Is it a good idea or a bad idea? It's a bad idea, right? Because you're a place that sells things. You're not a place that manufactures things. And what is the church supposed to be? What is the central mission of the church? And the central mission of the church is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And so when we come up with a mission statement, love God, love others, serve the world, that doesn't fit our purpose. Because our purpose is is to make disciples. And we need to be people who are passionate about making disciples. You with me? And you go, well, we've, we, we don't know how to do that. Well, get in line, because there's a lot of us who don't know how to do that exactly. But that's the mission that we've been called to. Okay? And so what we've begun to do, and this is all grassroots effort, doesn't cost any money, uh, it's not a big campaign that we're doing, is that we're starting a discipleship program at our church. And it's not a one-and-done type thing. It's to teach you how to replicate yourself with someone else. Because there's other scriptures that say uh, that you'll know you're my disciples if you obey all the things that I commanded you. You'll know my disciples because you'll be bearing fruit. And so Jesus has this long list of other things of how you'll know that you're his disciple. And one of the reasons that Jesus knows that you're his disciple is that you're replicating yourself spiritually. And we're going to get to all of this later on. And so brothers and sisters, what's on the table is that we haven't as a church, been obedient to the commands of Christ, if we as individuals, listen, so that that encompasses all of us here, if we as individuals 
aren't replicating ourselves. You see, for so long, the church has had a model where uh, we see somebody who needs some help, so we invite them to church, and then we pawn them off on a pastor, a church staff member, a Sunday school teacher, or somebody. And that is not at all what Jesus intended. Jesus says, go into the world. He's talking to his 11 guys at the time, right? Judas is already gone, so he's talking to his 11 guys. And he tells each of them specifically, go and make disciples then when paul who isn't a disciple at this time when paul writes a letter to timothy he says timothy entrust the things i've taught you to other men who are faithful who will entrust them to other faithful men and so every single thing that gets taught in the church is supposed to go from person individually to person individually I just want you to think about uh, effectiveness. Some of you, you business folks are going to be right in line with this. Think about the things that you, you spend most of your time doing. When you're a business person, if that thing is ineffective, you stop doing it and you do something else, right? 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 If you have a business and you're doing something that's ineffective, you stop it and you do something that's more effective. The most ineffective things that Jesus did was his public preaching ministry. You go, wait a minute. You can't say that. Look at the times that Jesus was preaching publicly and look at how many people were left at the end of the day. And it wasn't many, right? At the end of Jesus' life, he's dead. Then he's come back to life. And you've got about 70 people who are followers of Christ, right? He was preaching to 5,000 one day. He's preaching to 4,000 the other day. That's just the people who he was feeding fish. He preached a whole sermon on the mount. There's no telling how many thousands of people heard the sermon on the mount. And at the end of all of that preaching, 70 people, right? Three years constant preaching, 70 people are following as a result of a preaching ministry. You look at what Jesus did was, that was the most effective thing. He invested his life into 12 men. 12 men. And then three of those men, he really invested himself in even more, Peter, James, and John. And then those guys stand before a king at the end of their life. You go to the end of the book of Acts, and the king says, these are the men who turn the world upside down. I want you to know that sometimes what I'm doing right now is the most ineffective thing that a church can do. And it's the thing that draws the biggest crowd for churches. I want to tell you what the most effective thing a church can do. Every single church member shares their faith and passes their faith from themselves to someone else. That's called disciple making. You will find the church grow and be as healthy as you have ever seen it. If we will take Jesus seriously and do what he says. To go and not preach to the masses, but to go and to make disciples. So this is the point in the story where folks go, well, I'm not a teacher. I'm not this. I'm not that. Just let me kindly say, the people that I hear say that the most are often the best teachers around. This is what I mean. Oftentimes, the person that says, I'm not a teacher, is is sometimes the same person who gets on the phone and says, hey, did you hear so-and-so got married to so-and-so? Yeah, they're a real scumbag. You've just taught that individual that somebody got married to somebody and the person they got married to is a scumbag. We call that gossip, right? Right? That's teaching. You've just taught someone something that you had no business knowing yourself. 
What if we as the church, right? What if we as the church, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we get serious about our faith and we become the sorts of people whose lives are worth duplicating? We put our arm around somebody and we teach them personally to obey the things that Jesus told us. And then they put their arm around somebody else. And they teach somebody to obey the things that Jesus taught them. Let me tell you what happens. The gospel goes to ten times as many people. It, it duplicates itself exponentially when that happens. Because people leave these sermons all the time. And I think I'm the most misquoted person in time most Mondays. For real. You probably didn't laugh because you're the one that misquotes me. But uh, that was a lot funnier on my end. But anyways, but if you, if you grab somebody and you put your arm around their neck, you can answer any question they have. It's difficult to open for an open forum right now and let you fire away with questions. You're embarrassed to ask questions. You, you don't want to ask a dumb question. All sorts of things like that. It's difficult in a mass group like this to do the sorts of things that Jesus wants us to do. But Jesus' plan didn't involve all of this. Jesus' plan included people serious about their faith, grabbing other people and taking them on the same journey that they're on. And you say, but I don't know all the answers. We'll get in line again. I don't know all the answers either. But we can find the answers together and we can teach them together. You don't have to be an expert to teach somebody something. Most times you have to be about 15 minutes ahead of the other person in order to teach them something. That's, that's a true statistic. You don't have to know it all. You just have to know a little more than the guy behind you. And so this is where we're going as a church. You, you're not going to see any signs hung by the doorways. You're not going to see signs on the street. You're not going to see a big website change and all that other stuff. But the direction that we're heading as a church is we need to be a church that's about making disciples. And a disciple is someone who meets that definition of what Jesus said is a disciple and then they replicate themselves making other disciples. And you go, well, that's not, that's not cool. That's not hip. Let me tell you what. That's biblical, though. Okay? And that's what we're after. We want to be obedient to the things of Christ. This is the last point that we'll make. And it comes to uh, making disciples. Uh, I was in a church that uh, was running about 700 people on a given Sunday. Church ran into some problems. I wasn't leading the church at the time. Church ran into some problems, and so the, the church decides to bring in an expert. And so they meet with all of us who are leaders in the church, and the, the quote-unquote expert says, hey, what's your plan? What's your plan if a seven-year-old walks down the aisle, gives their life to Christ? What are you going to do with that seven-year-old to grow them up to be a mature follower of Christ? Just think about that for a second. If your child gets saved, right, or your grandchild gets saved, and they get saved right here this morning, what happens to that child for us to grow them up to be a mature follower of Christ? Do we plug them into Sunday school? Do we plug them into Team Kid? Do we then plug them into the youth group? Do we then plug them into an adult Sunday school class and hope that when they go through their college years, that they stay following the Lord? Is that the plan? You think, well, up until this point, I thought that was the plan. My question would be, how's that working for churches across America? You with me? Where are all the college students in churches? 
Where are all the high school students in churches? All of these kids who claim to have been saved when they were a child, where are they now? I'll tell you that I think the, the biggest problem in the church that we have as America is that we haven't been discipling. We've been running kids through programs thinking that was doing the job. I'll tell you what I got a chance to do. I got a chance to teach. We had a hard time finding fourth and fifth grade Sunday school teachers, right? And so I volunteered to jump in a rotation teaching the fourth and fifth grade Sunday school teachers. I got to, as a Sunday school teacher, teach the kids about the story of Abraham. And it was the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? And so Abraham's going to take his son Isaac and he's going to offer him on the altar. And the, the, the things that we've been tweaking and changing Sunday school to, all the material changes that we've been changing, that we've been doing, are to gear us more towards discipleship and less towards programs, right? We're sending things home with parents that parents can go through during the week. At least that's the plan before all the floods came. We've gotten a little out of whack with helping folks. And so I got to sit in front of this, this group of kids, and it wasn't a big group of kids. There was nothing glamorous about what I was doing at all. But I had my Bible and had the lesson in front of me, and the meat and potatoes of the lesson was, no matter how crazy something sounds like Abraham offering Isaac on the altar, you can trust God through anything that he tells you to do. And the neat thing about this whole lesson is that one of the kids in there was my son, and the other person in there was the youth pastor's daughter. And you say, well, that sounds like Sunday school, what you're saying has not been working. The thing is, is that I'm involved in those kids' lives throughout the week. I'm involved with those kids' lives throughout the rest of their lives, hopefully. And so when I take my son hunting, right, and we're sitting in a tree stand, and we're supposed to be quiet, but kids can't be quiet in tree stands, and we're whispering back and forth. Hey, son, you remember when we were in Sunday school, and I told you that you could trust God through anything, and that even when things don't make sense, you can still trust him? This is what I've been going through this week. This didn't make any sense at all, but God worked things out perfectly. And he's shown that we can trust him through everything. That's the difference between a program and just Sunday school and discipleship. The difference is, is that I've got my arm around him during the week. And I'm reinforcing that teaching, helping him along the way. That's discipleship. Sunday school is a one and done type thing. And please don't think that you don't need the exact same thing in your life. One of the selling points of Keshia Baptist Church, uh, whether you know this or not, was, was Dr. Tarkington. Um, he's uh, more accomplished than, than, than you ever imagine. Um, and the thing I liked was that he was going to be here for me to ask advice from as a young and dumb pastor, right? And the, the icing on the cake was that he and his wife were like really supportive of us, right? It wasn't just that he was a go-to guy for advice, but he was supportive of us also. And so I'm constantly asking Dr. Tarkington for advice, and he's constantly giving good advice. And he said something that really knocked my socks off, right? I, I tend to think that when I get to be your age, I'm going to know a lot of stuff, right? Like I never, I never really want to say that at some point I'm going to know it all, but in the back of my mind, I kind of think that I'm going to get to a point where like I've got it, right? I've seen it all and I know how to do it. He told me one time, he said, I know how to be a 30-year-old pastor. I know how to be a 40- and 50-year-old pastor. And then he told me, he said, but I'm still learning how to be a man in my 80s and follow the Lord. Because following the Lord changes through each season of life. Right? You need somebody in your life who's older than you and more mature than you, who's got their armor on you and they're helping guide you through life. 
You need somebody in your life that's encouraging you, and you need somebody in your life that's chastising you also when you get out of line. I need it, and you need it too. That's being a disciple. We had this guy who was uh, out of control when I was in high school. Get saved, right? This guy's in the drug scene, in the drinking scene, and the guy just gives his life to the Lord. And by all stretches of the imagination, it looks like this guy has just had a a born-again experience. That He's put his faith in Jesus Christ, been forgiven of his sins, and he's walking with the Lord now. And I remember being in high school going, wow, that guy's gotten saved, and he's taken this whole thing even more serious than I am. And I've been in church ever since I was, before I was wearing diapers, right? When people get saved and you put their arm around them, you grow just as much or more than they do. And that's what we need to be doing as a church. Living lives that are worthy of duplicating, putting our arms around people and taking them on the journey with us. And so what I want to do is I want to, I want to simply close this in prayer. Uh, and I want you to know that for the rest of the, uh, the rest of this season, these are, these are the types of sermons that are going to be geared towards. We're going to be breaking down what it means to be a disciple. What are the characteristics of being a disciple? And so I just want to, to open the door now and say, listen, if this is something that is, is resonating with you, um, then let's talk. Okay, let's talk and let me help you on this journey of turning you into a disciple who can then make other disciples. And if you were here during the revival, you know that this was really intimidating for me because the devil will wrestle with you and go, listen, pal, you're not worth duplicating. You don't have anything to offer anybody else. And these are all things that you'll wrestle with when you jump on board with this sort of thing. But I want to I want to pray for us. Uh, if if you've, you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, if you've never if you're not even sure if you're a disciple of his. Come forward and uh, we'll introduce you to him and we'll get you started on that uh, disciple path. But let me pray for us and then we'll close. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the things that you're doing in our church and in our town. And Father, I pray that we would be laser focused as a church in making disciples. Father, I pray that that would be the heartbeat of our church. I would pray that that's what drives us is to follow you and make disciples for you. Lord, I pray for our children, that you would help us to first disciple them. Lord, I pray for our husbands that are here, that you would help them to disciple their wives. Lord, I pray that we would have healthy families. Father, I pray that then we would be able to reach our neighbors for Christ and disciple them. And then I pray we'd reach their neighbors for Christ and disciple them. And Father, I pray that this would be something that duplicates itself to the ends of this community, and then to the ends of the earth. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would stand for our hymn of invitation. It was a pleasure to see you all here today. Hope that you have a great week. And uh, I'm going to ask Brother Jack Powell if you would close us in prayer.